Brian Ministries International presents Todd Talks, featuring Todd Edwards. Amen. Thank you, Kendra. Thank you, Kendra. Uh, So, Precious, um, I got you teed up to read, but not yet, but get ready. Thank you, Kendra. Uh, so today, Isaiah 61, and want to share uh, uh, an interesting uh, fact that I found out as I was doing some research this week. Isaiah is the most quoted book from Matthew to Revelation. So thinking about all, all of the the renewed covenant books, and we've talked about how it's not a testament, and there's not an Old Testament, New Testament, and there's this gap in the middle. There's no such thing as that. It's all one one continuous scripture. But from Matthew to Revelation, Isaiah is the most quoted book throughout the New Testament, I'll say. 419 times. Second most quoted book is the book of Psalms, 414 times. So think about 400 or so. Third most quoted book is Genesis at 260. So big drop off. Then Exodus, then Deuteronomy, and all other books are 100 or less. So you have Isaiah, number one, Psalm, number two, by far. Isn't that interesting? I wanted to share that with you guys. We're on the right, and I'm saying that because it is this time that is so unique. In fact, Todd Weatherly in the podcast, uh, as part of the, the, the lead up to it, he, he said, this is the key. What's the key? Zion is the key. And as uh, Kendra was praying and I was thinking about engaging and activating the scriptures that we're going through, we have our own realm and archies that we can uh, activate and uh, move in. But when we engage and actively participate with Zion. That is the full realm of the body. And the full realm of the body is everything that God wants to do through his creation. So it's everything. So all of a sudden, our enlar- our, an, an enlarging of activation and uh, anointing takes place. And that's really what Todd was saying. He's like, ah, this is the key. Uh, so I am feeling the same thing as we're going to Isaiah that I am finally starting to see the forest and not just the trees. And what I mean by that is, so what are, what are, in that analogy, what are the trees? We can get focused, and most of the body of Christ is like this, gets focused on the building blocks of salvation. Maybe in a broader sense, they think about, ah, the preparation for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, another tree might be just thinking about Yeshua's righteous justification of us and the process that he went, went through, the work of salvation at the cross. Think about that. That is, to me, now, it's almost like a tree. It's a centerpiece tree. The cross is a centerpiece tree, but there's actually more to it that we are now starting to see in a bigger picture. One of my favorite components of kind of seeing the myopic tree vision of this in in our study in Isaiah is 
Isaiah 54, two, uh, three, 52, three, when we sold ourselves for nothing. And then the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 comes in and, and fulfills all these bad transactions that we made. Uh, another kind of myopic view is our obedience and learning how to be obedient. And Isaiah taught us a lot about what we needed to do to drive toward holiness. And then in general, his faith through us to love him and to love others. So all of these things take place in the body of Christ. But now what's the big picture? If you see now high level, 100,000 view to see the whole, the, the whole picture, the whole forest, what's the big picture? Zion, Revelation 21 and 22. Or like big overall themes, the, the second exodus. There will be a second exodus. There will be a second return to the land. There will be a latter rain. There will be a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. And I've been doing my best not to say a whole lot about that because that's going to be my, my, my talking point at the advance next week is the, the spirit of Elijah um, prior to the second return of Yeshua. Um, big theme, judgment. What does that mean? I had uh, a conversation uh, with a friend uh, locally yesterday and we were talking about judgment. He was in his spirit. He, he is a, he's like one of those, uh, uh, men of thunder, the apostles of thunder, uh, uh, James and John, Yeshua, can we call fire down from heaven now? <laughs> That's this guy. <laughs> he wants to call fire down from heaven now. So inside of him, he's looking around the world. He's getting stirred up and he knows he's been active in warfare and he needed a framework of what exact, where do I direct my, my, my fury that God has given me for warfare uh, what's the scope of it? Uh, what direction am I going in? So having a framework for that is important uh, as well for judgment. What about the millennial activity? How does that fit into everything? That's kind of a, a big picture view for us. Not only us individually coming to a perfect bride, but also collectively. And what, what does that mean? Again, kind of seeing the forest, not just the trees. Uh, arrayed in splendor, without sin and without death. That's amazing to me. Thinking about that's the end, but I said this in the podcast, and you guys have heard me say this before, timeline is given to us by God for us, but yet we are, we were, we are, and we are to come just like God is. And what about the redemption of Zion, that Zion needed redeeming? And the people, and the heavens, and the earth. In fact, he loved the heavens and the earth so much that he made us out of both to bring it into alignment. Again, think about big picture. We're, we're focused on our own salvation, our own obedience. Um, the, the cleansing of the consciousness of sin. Hebrews 10 talks a lot about this. And these are all good concepts, but they're building blocks to now all of a sudden jump to you've been made out of earth and you've been made out of heaven to bring them into an align to bring them into alignment as priests for the heavens and for the earth. Big picture? Trees. Let me share this this one last passage, and then we're going to turn it over to Precious. Psalm chapter 2. 
So just some kind of thoughts on how this whole study has shifted my mindset uh, about Zion and I feel like I am elevating and seeing wider now, uh, much wider than I ever have. Psalm chapter 2, and you guys all know this, this psalm, but now let's put it into the context of trees and forest. And I don't mean trees like spiritual trees, we're trees, but the analogy of seeing something close up and then seeing big picture. So Psalm chapter 2 and we're going to read verses 6 through 8. Listen to this. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. Yahuwah said to me, you are my son. This day have I begotten you. So I know it, we have Yeshua on Mount Zion. Verse 8. Ask of me. And I shall give you the nations, not heathen, nations, for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. So you have Yeshua as the king possessing all of the nations and all of the earth. That is what we are supposed to do now, we are supposed to prepare our own hearts for the timeline of that happening, and we are supposed to call into action and reality that today. All of the cities, all of the nations to serve Yeshua and all of the earth. That's the big picture. And that's right there in Psalm chapter 2. So now as we read Isaiah 61, with that in mind, as precious as reading, I want you to think about something, and that is who's speaking in Isaiah 61. We know that Isaiah is penning this as he's being led by the Spirit. But who is speaking? Who is the they or them or there, so there's there's that kind of pronoun. There's a they, and there's a them, and there's a there. And then there's also a who is the I at the end. So I want you to really pay attention as Precious is speaking, who's speaking, and who are they speaking about. All right, Precious, all of Isaiah 61, please. Absolutely. Um, I will be reading Isaiah 61 again. Um, the version I'm reading it in is a New Living Translation, so it might be a little different. Um, and starting with verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Verse three, to preserve those who mourn in Zion, to give to them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Verse four, they shall 
They shall build the old ruins. They shall rise up the former desolations. They shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. And the sons of the alien shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. Verse six, but you shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. You shall eat the riches of the nations and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of humiliation, they shall rejoice over their portion. Therefore in their land, they shall possess a double portion. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. Verse eight, for I, the Lord, Yahuwah, love justice. I hate robbery and the burnt offering, and I will faithfully give them their recompense and make an everlasting covenant with them. Verse nine, their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who seek them shall acknowledge them because they are the descendants whom the Lord has blessed. Verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom ducks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth her buds and as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. Awesome, excellent, precious. Anybody have some thoughts on who's speaking, to whom are they speaking to, who's the they and the there and the them? Are there multiple voices here in this passage? Doctor, anybody want to? Hey, Sunil, is that you? Yeah. Uh, go ahead. I didn't hear you. The daughter of Zion will inherit all this. Uh, the you're saying it's the daughter of Zion? Yes. That speaking or being spoken to? The, the, the being spoken to, the one who is going to receive the blessings. Mm-hmm. And, and what about the, so you have a general reception, then what about the, the they and the thems and the theirs? What are your thoughts about that? The ones who are being broken, you mean? Like, for example, in verse uh, three, uh, to appoint unto them, uh, verse four, and they, Because then in verse 5, it kind of changes up and talks about your flocks and your vine dressers. Verse 6 talks about you. So it seems like there is a you and then there's a they. Yeah, uh, you would be Jesus. Hmm. Who, who is the... Who is going to inherit the earth and... He is going to give a point. What? Um, there is a verse which says, right? He will. 
appoint his inheritance to the great mhm so the great is the ones who are going to receive the blessing which is the daughter of zion and the one yeah. who is speaking is the father mhm and All the right. ones who are cursed are the other other children of satan general mhm yeah. thanks neil um anybody else want to agree with sunil or add some more to it the to me that part of understanding what's going on here is the whole forest and and trees analogy all right i'll jump in knows no takers so this is todd's per- this is my this is what i think and i i'm with sunil uh, in, in a lot of ways so we know first of all that Yeshua speaks this in Luke chapter 4. He proclaims Isaiah 61:1 and part of Isaiah 61:2. So he he's speaking, he's speaking this out. And then I think also when we get down to verse 10, if this is one continuous thing, which I think it is, I think this is all one passage. And and it's not just beginning and ending with chapter 61 as we know. This is a huge big passage. So we're just looking at Isaiah 61. So if we look at Isaiah 61 is one passage, when we ver- jump to verse 10, I will rejoice greatly in Yahweh. That's also Yeshua. Just like in Psalm 110, he said the psalmist is seeing what's happening in Psalm 110 and says, Adonai spoke to Yahweh. So the son spoke to the father. So here in verse 10, Isaiah 61:10, we have Yeshua speaking to the father, I will greatly rejoice in Yahweh, my soul shall be joyful in my Elohim, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. How do I know that? Because as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments. He's the bridegroom and then he gets into as and and as a bride adorns herself with jewels he is getting ready for the marriage supper he's getting ready for the marriage so i i see and then backing up to verse 8 for i yahweh so yeshua then calls himself yahweh as well i love judgment and he gets into some other things um uh, now backing up to what Sunil said about who's he speaking to he's proclaiming to his people in verse 2 and we need to think about who are the people were the temple zion's the temple were the priest zion's the priest so individually we are components of zion zion is an entity but we are also zion it's it's layers of of revelation and understanding which means that the people that he's originally speaking to in verse 1 were the ones and we touched on this last time were the ones receiving the good tidings were the ones that are poor meek in spirit were the ones that have broken hearts were the ones that are mourning in zion if we jump to verse 3 we're already in zion and we're mourning on zion's behalf we're mourning for the lost 
that have not entered in and gotten the revelation in their souls of Yeshua. We're mourning for Zion that she is barren. We're mourning that her children are scattered and don't know her. We're the ones in Zion mourning. So Yeshua is speaking to us, but he's also speaking to Zion because we're in Zion. Make sense? So now, as that's happening, this is the big message to Zion. So now, as Sunil said, kind of the daughters of Zion, the daughters of Zion to be made manifest on the earth. Verse 4, and they... Who's the they? Now it begins individuals. Individuals within Zion. So Zion, people are mourning in you. I'm declaring, I'm, 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 I'm trying to stir you up and give you good news all the way back to when you cried out to me in Isaiah 49, 14, saying, what about me? This whole passage about Isaiah has been for you, Zion. So now individually, they're going to do what you ask they're going to build up the old way cities. They are going to build up your former desolations where you were supposed to birth because you're barren. Strangers are going to feed your flock. So there's a, this in and out taking place of speaking directly to Zion and then speaking to us in Zion who are Zion. It's pretty heavy what he's saying. Then he gets into and says, but you shall be named priests. So now he's the individual components of Zion, which is us, but yet he's still speaking to us collectively as Zion. For your shame, and we're going to get into all the details of this, and then Yeshua, for I, Yahuwah, I mean, what a proclamation. I, Yahuwah, love judgment. Why would he declare out judgment? Because Zion needs judgment. Zion needs judgment upon its enemies and judgment for itself in its own righteousness. And Yeshua says, I am Yahuwah. I love judgment. Here I come. Then back to verse 9, back to their seed. Whose seed? Your children's seed, which is also Zion. They will birth the daughters of Zion onto the earth. Because remember, daughters have not been birthed yet because Zion is barren. Now, with that said, daughters exist. They haven't been birthed on the earth yet. So our work in the spirit, and this is kind of what I was getting at in the podcast, is the enemy is in full understanding mode to birth the city of Babylon onto the earth. They're setting up systems and structures in the spirit and manifesting them onto the earth. Their children are actively building cities, and they have been since Nimrod. That's what happens in terms of the judgment taking place on the earth in Revelation 17 and 18. It's the city of Babylon that's been birthed on the earth, and now it gets judged. And meanwhile, the body of Christ is hanging out, waiting to just get, enter into Zion. And no, 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 no. We're supposed to be actively praying through and building the structures in the spirit to be made manifest onto the earth right now. 
And that's, that, that's what we're supposed to be doing. So there's this, this city battle, the city of Zion, the city of Babylon being battled out. And he's saying, your kids, us, we're supposed to build all these things. So rejoice because I'm going to call them forth and they're going to start doing it. That's, that's the kind of the play of what's happening here in, in Isaiah. And I'll finish it off with one more verse and then we'll start picking it apart. Isaiah 62, 1, because it is a continuation. Yeshua then says, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. So he's connecting earth, um, earth, Zion, um, earth, Jerusalem, heavenly Zion. He's saying, I'm not going to rest. I'm not going to hold my peace until the righteousness therefore goes forth as brightness and salvation therefore as a lamp that burns so part of the beauty of of god's working with us is we are supposed to move in faith but he's the author and finisher of our faith we're supposed to build zion and manifest zion on the earth but he doesn't rest until he does it he's doing it but he does it through us it's, it's this Hebraic, cyclical, circular kind of thought process of, okay, so who's actually initiating? Of course, he initiates, but then he's having it done through us. I, I, shared, I shared this with uh, um, uh, Dan this morning. I saw this in Psalm 9. Take a look at Psalm verse 9. Because I know he's going to be doing a study on thrones. He kind of started that. And it'll be going on again tomorrow night. So, Psalm chapter 9, verse 7. But Yahuwah shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. But yet, we are the weapons of his indignation, and we will be the ones moving forward in judgment. So our thrones will be aligned with his throne to execute judgment to the point when in Revelation 19.2 says, hallelujah, for true and righteous are your judgments. It's not just because we'll be declaring unto God that his judgments are true and righteous, but we will have participated in them. That's how big this is. So back to Isaiah 61. We spent a little time last uh, last session going through some of the details of 61, so I'm not going to get into that, um, and I'm going to skip over <clears throat> uh, verse 2, because I think we did 1 and 2. So now let's start digging into verse 3. Clearly talking about people in Zion. Yeshua even said to people in Zion 2,000 years ago. All right, so catch that. We were mourning in Zion 2,000 years ago. Okay, beauty for ashes. Let's talk about this a little bit. Ashes remind us, and what's the whole context of ashes? Uh, when people were mourning, they would put ashes, in sa- ashes on their head and sackcloth, and that's how they, they would mourn and show their mourning. And ashes is uh, the, the burning of earthly material. So it's a reminder of 
our body connected to earth and that we will go back to the dust in the earth. And that's what it's saying. It's like death, the body being uh, disintegrated back into earth. Now, as beauty for ashes, when we think about the ashes component, not only for the, for the body disintegrating back into the earth and that we're made of earth, but it's also because sin has entered in through our bodies and into the earth realm. And sin brings death. So ashes is tying sin and death all together. So when Yahuwah declares, I'm going to give you beauty for ashes, he's talking a lot more just about, not just mourning. It's the whole component of sin and death. Think about this. Satan goes from beauty, the adorning cherub, to ashes, to death. We go from, on the earth, ashes to beauty. <laughs> Opposite directions. Now, another interesting thing about this ashes piece and relating to sin and death. Ashes are also related to one of the most key sacrifices under the Levitical law uh, from Numbers 19, and that is the red heifer. And the red heifer was supposed to be burned, and then the ashes were sprinkled with water for the purification of sin. And then also in Numbers uh, 19, as it's describing this, it has to do not only with sin, but also death, because it constantly talked about if anybody touched a dead body, you needed the ashes in the water, the ashes from the red heifer in the water, mixed with the water, to help purify from death, because sin and death go hand in hand. Now, part of the ashes piece, which I think is really interesting, and we've done some studies in the red heifer before, but a part of this that to me is really interesting, going from ashes to beauty, is you have ashes representing the earthly substance, sin, death, mixed with water from the river of life. So you have the water mixed with ashes. And what does it do? It actually brings forth life from it's a covering brings forth from sin and death life signifying and it's really symbolic signifying that there will be a time when our bodies that are mortal will take on immortality and that's what paul talked about in first corinthians 15 so what yeshua is saying here is it's not only you get beauty for ashes there's actually a hint in the scripture that it is mortality taking on immortality. There's a lot more depth to it. In fact, the word for beauty, because this is in the whole context when we read uh, verse 10 that talks about the bridegroom and the bride, the word for beauty, the Hebraic word for beauty is uh, strong 6287. Payar means beauty, gets this, is a fancy headdress like as a bride. So it's not only that you go from this ashes concept, which is death and sin and mortality, but you now go to beauty, which is life, immortality, and the bride. 
all of that connected. Huge, huge difference. It's death to life. He says it another way. Uh, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So the spirit of heaviness, this is interesting as well. There's a lot of depth to, to, to the, the language that's being used here. The spirit of heaviness is the same word used as darkness. It's predominantly used as darkness throughout uh, the, the, the Hebrew and translated to darkness. And it is the same word that is tied in Leviticus 13 for leprosy. So talking about the darkness portions of, lep of the leprous um, cells or, or, um, or, or uh, dots and, and kind of blemishes in your skin, and then there's a dark component of the around that's in the middle of the white component of the leprosy, that darkness is the same for heaviness. So the spirit of almost leprosy is there. And what's leprosy tied to? Also sin. So we're supposed to take our, this leprosy concept where we feel the burden, the weight of sin, and we're supposed to replace it with the garment of praise. So now back up again, big picture. Yeshua is declaring to his people that are in Zion who are mourning because they feel the weight of sin, they feel the weight of death, and they're looking at Zion being barren. They're looking at the individuals of Zion not ready to accept the bridegroom because they're feeling like the Song of Solomon and the Shulamite woman. I am dark and beaten up. I am not lovely. I am broken. There's a darkness in my heart. There's a heaviness. I feel the leprosy, the weight of sin. I feel the mortality of the ashes. Who am I to receive your love? So Yeshua is speaking to us in Zion in that state. That's why Zion proclaims, what about me? And that's why he came in Luke 4 and said, this day the scripture is fulfilled. My proclamation goes out to the children of Zion. In Zion. Keep going. <clears throat> so mine's mind, that shift here a little bit. Uh, I also love the trees of righteousness, of course. And we can go on and on and on about trees. But I want to show you something about righteousness. Because righteousness is, we've talked about this word, but it's, it's, it's a setup. First coming of Yeshua, second coming of Yeshua. First release of the spirit of Elijah, second release of the spirit of Elijah. Let's go to Psalm. Uh, Psalm 9. And we can go through a lot of scriptures. I'm just going to pick out a few. So you can see the tie with righteousness. Righteousness has kind of like a brother or sister word and concept that always go together. Psalm 9, verse 8. He shall judge the world in righteousness. And he shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. Psalm 19. 
And by the way, when the books from Matthew to Revelation and the Gospels and the Apostles are quoting Isaiah and Psalm a lot, it's probably because David in the Psalms and the other psalmists and Isaiah were getting revelation of the things in the Spirit and the things to come. Psalm 19.9. So this, this, that's why this stuff is so rich. Psalm 19.9. The fear of Yahuwah is clean, enduring forever the judgments of Yahuwah, of Yahuwah, and are true and righteous together. So judgments and righteous. Psalm 97. So catch the, the tandem words here. Psalm 97, verse 2. Clouds and darkness, Psalm 97, verse 2. Clouds and darkness around about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. So we know that verse. Psalm 143. Verse 2. And enter not into judgment with your servant, for in this, in your sight shall no man living be, it says, justified in the King James. It's actually the same word as righteous. So we have this tandem, and it's all over the place. It's in Ezekiel. It's in Dan. It's in Job. It's everywhere. Righteousness and judgment. Justice or righteousness, same word. Judgment. So when we go back to Isaiah 61, and he says that we are trees of righteousness. It's because it's us that produce the righteousness. Do what's right. We produce righteousness so that judgment then follows. I said this before. People are crying out for judgment. You don't want judgment to come until righteousness comes first. That's why James and John calling down fire from heaven. They wanted judgment, but they first needed to produce righteousness. We don't want judgment to come and wipe out a whole bunch of our brothers and sisters that are supposed to come into the kingdom until righteousness happens. Likewise, he's not going to give us the ability to command the host of heaven and a legion of angels if we're not obedient in righteousness, because we might do it prematurely, we might do it in the wrong direction. We need righteousness to precede judgment. So as trees of righteousness, we are digging deep into the word. Our roots are getting in. We're bringing forth the fruits of righteousness. The whole tree now is righteousness. Now judgment can come forth. So in the acceptable years of Yahuwah, he brings us into a place of righteousness. He gives us his spirit. He manifests the truths in our lives. We have this journey of salvation and maturity and truth with fear and trembling, producing righteousness. The second coming now will come with judgment, the day of vengeance of our God. So this whole concept of trees of righteousness, it is not just to come into right alignment with him, it is also to set up the day of vengeance. That's why the two go hand in hand. So note how these two things go back, back and forth together. 
Isaiah 61, verse 4. Waste and former desolations. I mean, this, this is, these are my verses. They've been for years. Uh, where did they come from? Leviticus 26. Waste and death. This was hidden to me for a long time. I just knew that it really resonated with my spirit. And it's really come forth, especially in this study. But Leviticus 26 gives us the details of what the waste cities are and the former desolations. So Leviticus 26, verse 31. And I will make your cities waste. This is, of course, if they went away from him. And I will make your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries unto desolations. So that's what the former desolations are. They were sanctuaries, places of meeting, of encounter with God. And I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors. And I will bring the land into desolation. And your enemies which dwell therein shall be astonished at it. And I will scatter you amongst the nations. And I will draw out a sword after you. And your land shall be desolate in your city's waste. That's what's going on. Um, another passage, Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel, by the way, is, I, I think, one, one of the prophets that really line up with a lot of Isaiah's uh, writings. Ezekiel 33, verse 23. Then the word of Yahuwah came to me, saying, Son of man, they that inhabit those weights, wastes of the land of Israel speak, saying, Abraham was one and inherited the land, but we are many. The land has given uh, us for an inheritance. Wherefore, say unto them, thus says Yahuwah Elohim, you eat with blood and lift up your eyes toward your idols, shed blood, and you possess the land. You stand upon your sword and work abomination, and you defile everyone's neighbor's wife, and you shall possess the land. Say thus unto them, thus says Yahuwah Adonai, as I live, surely, they are in the waste. They that are in, in the waste shall fall by the sword, and him that is in the open field will I give the beast to be devoured. And they shall be in their forts, and their caves shall die in pestilence. For I will lay the land most desolate, and the pomp of her strength shall cease, and the mountains of Israel shall be desolate. That's a big another tie that we might get into today. The mountains of Israel tied to the waste cities. That the mountains of Israel that are desolate, tied to the waste cities, tied to the former desolations, that none will pass. Then shall they know that I am Yahuwah, when I have laid the land most desolate because of all the abominations which have been committed. So this is what's happened onto the earth. We have these, these cities that were prepped in the spirit and in the earth to be the daughters of Zion, but it never happened. Likewise, there are places of encounter, like Jacob lying his head on the, on, on the stone and calling the place Bethel, house of Yahuwah, the place where, he, where God dwells. That's a place that was an encounter. There's places all over the earth. So what's happened is Satan corrupted the birthing process of Zion into these cities. And then he's corrupted the places of encounter 
that God has ordained throughout the earth. Our job to get Zion onto the earth is to reconstruct in the spirit the cities, reconstruct the former desolations or the high places, the, the spiritual high places, and then to start to birth those into the earth. That's what Isaiah is telling us to do. We're supposed to repair the cities and the desolations. That's why we're not supposed to be just sitting around. Big picture. We're, so as individuals, we're trying to work out our own stuff. Big picture, we're supposed to manifest the, big, the, the cities and the daughters of Zion. We got to get beyond our own stuff and start doing these activities. Now, part of what I see kind of in general in this timeline is we get to a place individually and in some regards, collectively, by his return. And during the millennial, we birth cities. That's why the parable of the talents is you're, you're faithful in five talents. You get to lead, rule over ten cities, daughters of Zion, in the millennial kingdom. So for those of you that are ready to start moving beyond your individual stuff and start praying into existence, cities, praying into existence, former desolations. That's being faithful in your talents. Kelly gave, Kelly gave this testimony early on. They moved from Michigan to Wisconsin. They're looking around and say, okay, we don't have anybody else around us. A couple years later, they're gathering today with 27 adults and 47 kids. They have birthed a city. Onto the earth. Don't think about city as a bunch of buildings. City is a collection of people. That's what it is. A collection of families. It's like a tribe. Bride tribe is a city. Which means if it's a city, it has become a daughter of Zion. Onto the earth. When, when we first moved to Wisconsin, this was 20, 20 plus years ago, I, I, we moved from New York. And you may have heard me tell this story in the past, uh, but we, we were surrounded by just great spiritual people. And we had great spiritual mentors in New York. We had just become believers, Eliani and I. And we come, we come to Wisconsin and I'm looking around and I see nobody that is hungry around here. And I get connected with a couple churches with LA. I'm like, ah. And I remember standing out uh, in, in, our, in our front room, actually right behind me. You see the window right behind me. I was standing out, uh, just right looking out the window. And it's one of the few times that I heard the audible voice of God. And I said, God, why are we here? Did Abraham negotiate well over Sodom? And it was one of those things that when God asks you that kind of question, you know that you're not going to have a good answer. So I just kind of sat there and he said, well, should Abraham have stopped at 10? And he's talking to me audibly about this. 
And what was Abraham negotiating over with Sodom and Gomorrah? If there was 10 righteous people, he started off with 50 and worked his way down. He was negotiating over the city, a collection of people. And God doesn't need many to start the city. So he said, Todd, I want you to start to pray to raise up at least 10 righteous people. And sure enough, one by one, we started to see more and more people around us that were like-minded in Christ. We raised up a city. Within a city of Babylon, we have a city of Zion. We have a community around us of believers. That's what we're called to do. So bride, another word for bride, is a daughter of Zion. Right? Each of you can do this. Wherever your calling, your assignment is, start praying it forth. It might mean that your spirit has to go to work in the heavens and start making some things aligned. It might mean that you need to call forth laborers in the spirit so that they start to be made manifest on the earth. It might mean that you need to call forth apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But you have the call to do that because you're part of this group in Isaiah 61 that says that you're going to do it. Again, seeing the forest and not just the trees. Trees. God, do you really love me? God, am I really clean? God, can I really approach the throne boldly? Big forest. God, can I really birth a daughter of Zion onto the earth? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's not waiting for us to get perfect to do this. He's saying do it now. He said it 2,800 years ago to Isaiah. So when Yeshua says, today's the day the scripture is fulfilled, he's talking about this whole passage. And you know what he's actually crying out to in Luke chapter 4? He's proclaiming this to Zion 2,000 years ago. Zion, I'm coming for you. My ministry is for you. Again, looking at the trees, his ministry on the cross was for us individually. But also, he proclaimed that the beginning of his ministry was for Zion collectively, the whole thing. We've been missing it because we're looking so myopically at our own lives and a couple people around us. No, we got to get the big picture. We're supposed to move on Zion's behalf, not just Todd's behalf. That's the, the magnitude of verse 4. Um, a little more depth of mountains. So the, because we see cities, we saw desolation, and then we saw mountains kind of tied together a little bit. Uh, Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. 
Verse 1. Also, you son of man, prophesy. Son of man, meaning he's tied to the earth. Meaning he's tied to mortality. Meaning he's tied to the ashes, the heaviness of sin and death. So he's talking to us, even in our mortal state. Son of man, prophesy unto the mountains of Israel and say, you mountains of Israel, hear the word of Yahuwah. Mountains, you need to hear. Thus says Yahuwah Adonai. And we talked a little bit about that word Adonai. That particular name is a birthing name. So when you want to charge your realm with the names of God, add Yahuwah Adonai. It is a birthing name so that you can birth, repair the way cities, birth the daughters of Zion. So Adonai is speaking to the mountains because the enemy has said against you, aha, even the ancient High places are ours in possession. So the enemy has taken that, that word ancient is like everlasting, like always was, always will be. And he's talking to the mountains. These are the governmental structures that God has ordained in Israel to receive and to participate in the birthing of Zion onto the earth. And he's saying, son of man, speak to the mountains. You've been taken. And then he goes on, and we won't go through all of this, but he's saying, you will get to a place. Listen in verse 6. Uh, Ezekiel 36, verse 6. Prophesy, therefore, concerning the land of Israel, because the mount, and say unto the mountains, and to the hills, and to the rivers, and to the valleys. Thus says Yahuwah Adonai, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy. Now remember how he comes from Isaiah? He's got the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the garments of vengeance, the cloak of Jealousy, I say in my jealousy, Yahuwah Ka'ana, and in my fury, vengeance. So we got a timing thing here. This is his second return. Because you have borne the shame of the nations, this is the land of Israel and the mountains. Therefore, thus says Yahuwah Adonai, I have lifted up my hand, Surely the nations that are about you, they shall bear their shame. This is in total parallel to Isaiah 61. But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people of Israel, for they are at hand to come. Meaning they're going to return to the land. They're going to come back unto you. For behold, second return, second exodus leads to second return into the land. For behold, I am for you. Who's he for? He's for the mountains. 
and I will turn to you and you shall be tilled and sown and I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, not just Judah, one twelfth of Israel, all of Israel, even all of it, the cities shall be inhabited and the waste shall be built. I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bring fruit. And I will settle you after your old estates, meaning the things that I had already planted, and will do better unto you than your beginning. Former rain, latter rain. First entry into the land, second entry into the land will be even greater, and you shall know that I am Yahuwah. So we need to start declaring unto the mountains of Israel, these governmental structures, start building them up in the spirit, start declaring them, because this is going to be the preparation for our return into the land that he has given us, because we are Israel. Big picture, right? More big picture stuff. Isaiah 61. Yeah, in your spare time, meditate on Ezekiel 36 and on the mountains. Uh, because, again, forest, our mountain. We get that. I'm sorry, tree, our mountain. Forest, big picture, the mountains of Israel who is his possession. He said, Israel is mine. Meaning, you are mine, I am yours. Big possession. Governmental structures of my possession, I want you to declare because the enemy has taken them. We're in this season right now. You can see all the, 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 the birth pains and the wrestling going on in the world. This is a battle right now that this, the city of Babylon has been fat and happy because the city of Zion and its members, us, have not been engaged on attack with it yet. We are now engaged in attack, and that's the rumblings that are taking place in the earth right now. The city of Babylon and its inhabitants are now starting to see us, Zion, starting to wake up. And this is the, the hitting that's taking place. The waste cities are starting to rumble. The desolations are starting to tremble. The mountains are starting to get aligned. The mountains of Israel are starting to wake up across the world. And therefore, there's a battle being go going on right now. That's what we're experiencing. And that's happening because some of you as priests and ministers are starting to pray these things into existence. Um, yeah, it's 11, 12 already, and I'm on verse 4. Hmm. <laughs> uh, let's jump to verse 6. Isaiah 61, verse 6. Is it okay if we go like all the way up to uh, 12 o'clock? You guys okay if we go like another 30 minutes? 30 minutes extra? Isaiah 61, verse 6. You shall be named 
the priests of Yahuwah. Men shall call you the ministers of our Elohim. You shall eat the riches of the nations and their glory shall boast yourselves. I want to spend a little time on here because there is two kind of languages taking place. You'll be named the priest of Yahuwah and then you'll be called the ministers. Now that word named actually means call. And the word you shall be called ministers actually means acknowledged as. Two different things. There is the identity first. You will be called priests. First mention. Real important to see this on the first mention. I think this will make a lot of sense. Genesis chapter 1. So this, the first mention of being named. Genesis chapter 1. In order to do some of these big picture things, you have to be ingrained in who you are. And this is one of those things that I want everyone to really say law as being named a priest. Genesis chapter 1, verse 5. And Elohim, in the King James, it says called. It's the same word for named, used in Isaiah 61. And he named the light day. And the darkness he named night. So there was a declaration that took place. And he gave them the expression in Hebrew, day and night, to give them identity. So what's happening in Isaiah 61, verse 6, is we are being called priests. It is who we are. He's giving us our identity. Hebrews chapter 7. This will really make sense here in Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 19. So apropos that this is talking about priests in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19. For the Torah made nothing perfect. That's the law. Book of the law, book of the covenant, two different things. The book of the law made nothing perfect. But the bringing in of a better hope did. By the which we draw near unto Yahuwah. So we don't draw near by the book of the law. We draw near by the book of the covenant. Inasmuch as not without an oath, a naming, a calling, he was made a priest. For those priests, means the Levitical priests, were made without an oath. How were they made priests? They were made by bloodline. You had to be a Levitical bloodline, from the Levitical bloodline to be a priest. And then even within the bloodline of Levi, you had different families, and different families had different functions. And going all the way through the bloodline of Levi, only the bloodline of Eliezer could be the ones that drew closest and could be the high priest. 
the bloodline of uh, Mareri, uh, the bloodline of Gerzium, uh, those had different functions, even under Levi, outside the temple, in the holy place or in the outside component of the outer courts. So even bloodlines within bloodlines of the Levitical priesthood could draw near. But this priest is totally different. It's by oath. Verse 21 again, Hebrews 7:21. For those priests, the Levitical priests, were made without an oath, but by blood. But this, by an oath by him that said to him, Yahuwah swore and will not repent, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So what does that mean? Going back to Isaiah 61, verse 6, this is what it means. He has declared over everyone in Zion that your name is priest oath. His spoken oath. Just like he declared the night to be or the, the darkness to be night and the light to be day. Given name by oath. And when he speaks, it cannot be taken away. You just have to receive the fact that he's called you a priest. It is. Then other people will acknowledge you as a minister. They won't have the understanding of what all that means. He declares that you're a priest, but other people will acknowledge that you're a minister. That's what he's saying in Isaiah 61.6. That's why it's so important to get ingrained to Selah that you are a priest. Because as a priest now, as a human, spirit made from heaven, body made from earth, you actually can be a priest of heaven and earth. That's how big that declaration is. So when we're talking about the big things of Zion, now he gives you a spoken word by oath. You are a priest. You now can be activated. That's the entire forest. Verse 7. For your shame, you have double. You, sh you shall have double. And for your confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess the double, everlasting joy. So there's a hint, this thing about double. Uh, the shame. What's the shame? It's being barren. So Zion is, is ashamed, has taken on shame because it hasn't birthed onto the earth. But we're going to change all that. So there's a hint of doubling. And there's this beautiful picture, the, big, the first picture of doubling in Genesis 43. And I'm not going to walk through it all. But this is what happens. <clears throat> this is during the time of Joseph. So Joseph is in Egypt, and, and the brothers are all sent by Jacob into Egypt to go get some food. And the first time that they go, they don't take Benjamin. So Judah is leading the procession of the brothers into Egypt to get food. And he's leading them without Benjamin. First time, nothing happens. Joseph sees them but does not give them his acknowledgement, his blessing. And keep in mind, Joseph has the birthright. Joseph has the birthright. That means he has the blessing from heaven. Joseph still has the birthright. That's why 
Israel is not back in the land yet because Joseph hasn't gone back in the land. So second time takes place. And Judah goes back to Jacob and says, Dad, we're not going to get anything from Egypt unless we take Joseph's brother. It's the closest thing we have to the birthright. Benjamin. Because Benjamin, if Joseph is dead, Benjamin gets the birthright in Jacob's family. Now, let's pause here because we talked about this when we did a study on Joseph. Part of the birthright is the Melchizedek priest. How do I know that? Because Jacob gave Joseph a multicolored priestly garment to wear. So if Joseph is dead, Jacob and the brethren are thinking Benjamin now has the birthright and Benjamin is our priest. He's the Melchizedek priest. So for Joseph, his birthright under Benjamin, thinking Joseph's dead, for him to unite the whole family, Jacob sends back with Judah and the brothers double the money. This is in parallel with the first reign was the spirit of Elijah, the acceptable years of our God. And guess who was in the land during that time? Yeshua called it Judea. But the second return will be the double portion of the spirit of Elijah that was given to Elisha, and that will be the return of the Joseph birthright priestly blessing. Hence, I will call you priests, and for your shame, you will receive double. All of this is tied together. All of it's tied together. So the law of sowing and reaping, do not be wary in well-doing because you will reap all the things that you've sown, all the righteousness that you have sown in the others, all the righteousness that you have sown in your prayers, all the righteousness into the earth, it will come forward. I was in uh, prayer this week, and I was uh, fasting and, and seeking him this week uh, on a few things. And one, <clears throat> one moment in prayer, I, I was in the temple, and I was preparing the, the showbread. I was getting ready and, and looking at the, the incense and the candle, and he said, I want you to take now all of the prayers that have been pressed down and shaken together of Zion, and I want you to minister them before me. And that means all the prayers of the generations, because I'm about to do a mighty work in the earth, and I want to smell them as a sweet savor all at once. That's what's happening in the earth right now. So as the earth and the inhabitants of the earth are feeling chaos, they're feeling fear, Yahuwah is smelling this sweet savor 
of his bride coming forth and the bridegroom getting ready to come out of the chamber. Verse 8. For I, Yahuwah, love judgment and I hate robbery for burnt offerings. Uh, I want to share a little bit on this too. I had a conversation with Stephen this week about this verse. And as I was meditating on this, I love Yahuwah. He had the same revelation with different language uh, the day before. And I had the the same revelation the day before. And and it came down to verse uh, 61.8 for me. But it says, I, Yahuwah, love judgment. And I hate robbery for burnt offering. And as I was meditating on this, there's, there's holy transactions in truth. For I, do, I will direct their work in truth and make an everlasting covenant with them. So what exactly is going on here in verse 8? The, the violence for, for robbery, what are they talking about? What, what do you mean that he hates robbery for burnt offerings? And how are we offering up offerings that are robbed? Well, in some cases, the world system is about lending and charging interest. God says he hates that. He hates that concept. So we could be taking interest from something that we gain off somebody. And I don't mean, I don't mean that you get interest in the bank and they're making money off of growth. I'm talking about interest out of someone else's uh, unfortunate or misfortune. They didn't have money, so now they go to the bank and they get lent, they get loaned the money and they have interest. Actually, God, that's not an economy of God. So if we're making money off of someone else's misfortune, that's like robbery. I'm just going to say it straight up. It's like robbery. Likewise, if we're doing other things to make money out of greed and again over the misfortune of the widows and the orphans taking advantage of people, charging them more than just weights and measures. We've talked about this, about weights and measures. Weights and measures. If we overcharge and we take in all this money, And then we go to God and say, here, God, here's my offering. You are actually giving an offering out of robbery, is what he's saying. He's saying, why do I need this? Why are you offering me stuff that's been robbed and taken from others? I kept meditating on this. He said, in addition, I don't like that you are giving your offering out of abundance, because you're a poor steward. What do I mean by that? Don't think, and this goes, so now now I'm talking to people that are already in the position where they're acknowledging that their offerings come from his abundance and then they give them back to him. So your tithe and your offerings, and you're already in that place. If you're not in that place, you need to get in that place and really do some soul searching on why, why you're not in that place. So I'm talking to the people that are already in a place of tithing and offering. And what he said to me is, Todd, it is easy for you to do that because I've given you an abundance. So don't think that you're a good steward because you are in abundance. You're actually a poor steward 
it just is easy for you to tithe and give an offering because I've given you an abundance, but do not think that that's because of your good stewardship. That's out of abundance. And I'm not so happy with that either. He wants us to be good stewards of everything. If not, I am bringing in abundance or I'm robbing from some way just weights and measures and then I'm giving that as an offering. And at some point in time, he's going to correct us and say, I will, now look at this verse in verse 8, I will direct, it says their work, it's their wages in truth. So part of our drawing near to him and part of this whole concept of doing righteousness so that we can have judgment is so that we become excellent stewards of everything that we have. We're excellent stewards of every moment in time. And I understand there's sometimes that we just need rest. Sometimes we just need enjoyment, relaxation. I get that. We need to be excellent stewards of everything in terms of our occupation and, our, and the work of our hands. We need to be excellent stewards of every component of abundance that he's given to us. If he gives us a house, if he gives us uh, an ability to help and assist others, and then we hoard it, why would he give that to us? That's poor stewardship. He has every right then to take it away and give it to someone else. That's the same thing as the talent that I took a talent and I hid it. Mine. No, you need to produce fruit with it. So he really spoke to me um, a lot about that in verse 8. I want to jump to verse 10 and 11 and finish that and spend some time there since we're running out of time. And I apologize for kind of jumping around. I just wanted to pick out a few things that I thought were real important in 61. I know I spent a lot of time on the forest, but the forest is real important to understand. Yes, we need to tend to the tree of our lives, but the forest. Yes, we need to tend to the plants in our garden, but we need to tend to the whole garden, which includes all the relationships and everything that he's given us in, a, in our archie. And if we now think about our archie rolling up to Zion, it's everything, everything, everything. Isaiah 61.10. This is the heart of Yeshua. This is the heart of Yeshua for everything now that he has said in this chapter. I will greatly rejoice in Yahweh. So as much as I just, you know, meditated and reflected on my own poor stewardship, and we have different components here that we're wrestling with, he still says, I will greatly rejoice in Yahuwah. Why is he rejoicing? He's rejoicing over us. I know that because it keeps going. I greatly rejoice. He greatly rejoices in the Father. Now think about what we've read with the suffering servant and that the Father said, that he was pleased to beat him into a pulp. I think about 6110 in the same context of when the father said he was pleased to beat the son into a pulp for us, 
The son then returns here in Isaiah 61.10 and basically saying, Father, thank you for beating me into a pulp because I got them now. So I will greatly rejoice in my father. My soul shall be joyful in my Elohim. And we know from Psalm 45, the wedding psalm, that he is more joyful than all of his fellows. So the ones that were not beaten into a pulp by the father, he's more joyful than us. And he's joyful for us because of us. Selah. For he has clothed me with the clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Under the shadows of his wings. So he's got this robe of righteousness. That's part of what we are coming underneath. So yes, it's our righteousness that leads to the judgment to come. But we come under the shadow of his wings, which is under the robe of his righteousness. So he's producing righteousness through us. There's a really interesting parable in Job. Uh, check this out. Job chapter 29. And I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but this is another great study to, to read through here because Job is talking about a parable, meaning Job, Job 29 verse 1. Moreover, Job continued his parable and said. So Job is speaking this parable like he's getting some insight. And the language and the vantage point that this this parable is coming from, I think, is the same as Isaiah 61. I think it's the same as Isaiah 61. Look at Job 29, and I'll just look at verse 14, but the whole thing aligns with Isaiah 61, and Job is seeing this. He has no language for this like Isaiah. Isaiah has so much more revelation on this than Job, but Job is seeing the same thing. Job 29, verse 14. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My judgment as a robe and a diadem. And we talked about the bride being a diadem in his hand. So Job is seeing this whole parable, and you can go through all the language of it. Job is seeing Yeshua clothed with righteousness, and then he also sees Yeshua wearing the bride. As a diadem. Beautiful. This whole parable is beautiful. So spend some time in there if you'd like in Job 29. So in, in back to Isaiah 61.10. I will re rejoice greatly in Yahweh. My soul shall be joyful in my Elohim. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. Garments. 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 Garment of salvation for humanity. Garment of salvation for Zion. Garment of salvation for the earth. Garment of salvation for the heavens. Garment of salvation for the timelines. Garment of salvation for the heavenly host. He's got garments upon garments of garments. He's got garments of salvation for cleansing for the temple and the heavens. He's got all these garments of salvation because all of this was redeemed. So he's got multiple garments going on. And we participate. Think about this. We are the elevated portion of creation that gets to participate in all of this. Who else can pray for the earth? Why is the earth moaning? The creation is groaning. What? 
for the manifestation of the sons of God. So Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy unto the mountains. The mountains are groaning for you, Ezekiel, to prophesy. Todd, bride tribe, the mountains are groaning, waiting for you to prophesy to them. It's one of the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks or adorns, check this out, as a priest. <laughs> That's the expression here. It is a priestly garment that is tied to bridegroom. He's the bridegroom. He's joyful. He's got all of creation as a, in salvation as a robe. And he's decked out as a priest. And then what he does is at the end, in this verse, and then he actually puts on the bride with her jewels. Just like we can put on Yeshua, he puts on us. Wow. Wow. But wasn't it, doesn't it make sense? Like one of the first teaching segments of the Bride Ministries Institute is in Christ. So now he puts on us. We put on him, and he puts on us with our jewels. And we talked about the stones associated with Zion, the stones associated with the breastplate as a priest. So he wears a priestly garment as the bridegroom, and then he puts on the bride as a priest. It's so intertwined. How do we get not only intertwined with each other, but we get intertwined with him? It's incredible. Incredible what he's birthing for. Verse 11. For as the earth brings forth her bud, and as the garden causes the things that are sown into it to spring forth. I talked about this. The garden is us. The garden is Zion. So that's another element to it. Yes, we're Zion. We're the temple. We're priests. We're, we have mountains. We have trees. We have stars. We have dance talking about thrones. We have a garden. And that's why at some point in time, and maybe I'm prophesying this, we're going to get into the Song of Solomon and we're going to activate gardens in full. Um, that's what he's saying is now the garden comes, uh, brings forth those things. So Zion as a garden brings forth all the plants and all the, the, the fruits and all the flowers and all of the fragrance and all the beauty and all the colors that have been sown into it. So Yahuwah Adonai, Adonai. The one who births, Adonai, will cause righteousness 
and praise to spring forth before all of the nations. In Dan's discussion last Sunday night about grids, I see this as an activation of grids on the earth. This is an activation of the gardens of Zion. This is an activation of the waste cities and the former desolations to be activated. So all of a sudden now the grids are activated. Satan has his grid activating the city of Babylon. We need to activate the grids of Zion, the city of Zion, to birth forth all of these components as they start to grow. Listen again. For as the earth brings forth her bud, he's not just talking about plants. He's talking about the daughter of Zion, Zion on the earth. Because this whole context has been Zion. So he's saying Zion is going to start as a bud. Zion is going to be like a garden that causes the things that were sown in it to spring forth. That's the language he's used. Catch this. We are to be planting and planting and planting Zion onto the earth, and then it comes forth in that day. This is much bigger. And he'll cause righteousness and praise to come forth. All of this needs to happen before the judgment takes place. So I'm, I'm having this conversation with my friend yesterday. And again, context. I remember in the past, I was thinking, oh, the next event is going to be the last days. The next event is going to be, you know, such and such. Um, I've changed my, my viewpoint on the timeline. That is, we are to, we always were to, take possession, take dominion, birth Zion. That will bring forth the judgment. We don't want the judgment too soon because we're looking for the one lost sheep. We don't want the angels to gather all the wheat too soon or I'm sorry, gather all the tares too soon because they might catch a wheat because the wheat and the tares as little plants look the same. So we don't want judgment on the tares because judgment might also fall on the wheat. We need to spring forth righteousness. And that's what we're seeing in this nation right now. That's what we're seeing in the world. The Zion is rumbling and we are causing it to rumble. Well, I'll, I'll stop there and let's pray. Um, let's pray to, to really receive the oath of priests. It's not just a job we need to work our way into. There's a little bit of elements of that, but it's his righteousness under the shadow of his robe of righteousness. We birth righteousness that draws us near to him. But it's by oath. It's by oath 
It's not by bloodline. It's not by your position in the body. It's by a spoken oath. We don't have to go through the Levitical cleansing and anointing in order to call this into place. He doesn't say that some people are to build the old ways. He doesn't say that some people are to take care of the former desolations. He says the priests. And Zion collectively is a priest. So anyone in Zion is a priest. We still have protocols to enter in before a holy God. And I think there is going to be a level of holiness that will be unmatched. All of Israel had the chance to draw near and only Moses drew near. You're going to see a remnant of people that are not just going to be priests. They are going to be holy priests. This is that group of people. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you and rejoice for your word. For your word washes us, it renews us, it cleanses us, it drives the roots of our righteous trees deep into the ground. And if we're deep into the ground, we're deep into the earth. And then we spring forth and bear you much fruit, and we bring leaves for the, the renewing and the healing of the nations. Because your tree DNA, the tree of life, is in us. And we reach to the heavens and praise your name. And rejoice in your goodness and your glory. Your grace and your mercy, your patience and your truth. But Father, we thank you that your word is alive. And Isaiah spoke it 2,800 years ago for this time, for such a day as this. We thank you for the privilege of taking on the assignments in this day. That we could be witnesses and participants to birth Zion into the earth. Thank you for opening our eyes and ears that we could see and hear. So, Father, we call forth the mountains of Israel and we bless them. Throughout the earth, those mountains that have been hijacked, the mountains that have been beat upon, the mountains that have clouds of darkness upon, we speak unto you that we are coming. We are ambassadors, we are messengers of the Most High God, and we declare unto you that you be clean and you come forth and release your fruit. We blow the winds of heaven upon you to remove all the clouds of darkness. We release you, mountains, O Israel, from captivity of the enemy. We repent for not understanding this. We repent from not doing this before. Mountains, we ask for forgiveness for allowing you to be taken and held hostage and be misused. So mountains of Israel, we declare your activation in Yeshua, Yahuwah Elohim, the creator of all things, the creator of the mountains of Israel, 
now in Yeshua's name. For Yeshua sits in the hill and the mountain of the Most High in Zion, the mountain of mountains. And we declare that his mountain, his government will overtake the governments of this earth. And you are participants of his government. So we adorn you with the dews of heaven. We fill you with the brightness and the glorious, the glory of the sun. We remove all the evil beasts. We remove the beasts of the field and the beasts of the forest that have inhabited you. We round them up with the lassos of heaven. And bring them into a pen for Yeshua to deal with them as he wishes. We loose the angelic host with vacuum cleaners. We loose the angelic host, the lumberjack angelic host, to tear down all of the evil trees off the mountains of Israel. We loose the angelic host to clean up the rivers of gook that the enemy has has laid upon you and has filled you with. Father, may there be world runs released to, to vacuum up all of the bad water, the polluted water, the stale water that brings forth sickness and disease off the mountains of Israel. Father, we also declare unto the dark clouds that you are the one that inhabits the darkness. And we send fear into the dark clouds of the enemy that you come and you make them part. That the mountains of Israel would receive your son, receive your glory. We declare that this is a new day for the mountains of Israel and to the earth. And we raise up the mountains and the hills for your government to be established into the earth this day now in Yeshua's name. We declare this in a mocking fashion against the enemy who claims that this is their holy day. But today is the day that the mountains of Israel are rebirthed and cleansed. Father, I thank you for all the priests that you have given an oath to. Just like your voice came out of heaven and declared over Yeshua, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That you declared him by oath, the high priest, the great Kohen Haggadal, after the, over, after the order of Melchizedek, that you have by oath proclaimed over us that we are priests. Holy Spirit, take them by the hand into the place of worship, into the place of their temple. May they have clean garments of righteousness this day. May their temple be cleansed from any idols that have snuck in. Hmm. I see angels looking under the, the 
the, the rugs in the temple. There's like a, a rug oh, in, in certain places in the ground that idols have, are, have been trying to hide under, and the angels are, are uncovering those. So all the priests that are hearing this, take those false idols, grind them into powder, and throw them out of the camp. Father, I also ask that you would give an abundance of oil that everyone could keep your candlestick burning bright. Give them an abundance of grain and herbs and oils that the incense would be a sweet fragrance to you. And that the bowls of oil in their temple would always be filled. Father, I ask that you would bring each of us before you and into your courts to break off any chains that the enemy may still have of witchcraft. Any chains that the enemy has in us of lies that have been spoken by the deep state, by corruption, by frequencies of the city of Babylon. I take a frequency modulator and apply it to everyone here that they would only receive the frequencies of heaven and the frequencies of Babylon would be confused and disassembled I pray that our frequencies would be in alignment with heaven onto the earth Father we rejoice greatly that you are doing a mighty work in your people and we thank you for the patience that Zion has been waiting for us to birth your son, your righteousness into the earth and into the heavens. As heaven and earth gave a witness to Yeshua at the cross when the heavens became dark and the earth had a quake, we ask that the earth and the heavens would be a witness to the birthing of Zion that it would be a witness to the birthing and the renewal of the mountains of Israel, that it would be a witness to the cities that were wasted to be risen up, that it would be a witness to the desolations that you are reestablishing to connect with your people. We declare Bethel onto the earth, the house of Elohim. Father, I bless everyone here and thank you for them, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, that they have taken on this assignment to be born into the earth this season. They have heard your cry. They have heard your call. They have received their assignment, and they are activated as priests of Zion as priests of the Most High God and as ministers of Elohim. 
pray this all in Yeshua's name. Amen. You've just listened to Todd Talks here at Bride Ministries International. Be sure to visit our website at bridemovement.com. You can support us by leaving a donation. You can also check out our other offerings, such as our church. You can check out our institute. We offer prayer resources and, of course, so much more.